All right, uh, good to see you. Tonight we're going to talk about how to survey a book of the Bible and uh, do a survey chart uh, for uh, your own records and for your own study. Uh, I would suggest to you that one of your goals should be to have a survey chart on all 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. Uh, you will learn more about the Bible in doing a survey chart than just about anything you ever do. <laughs> you will be able to really know the message of each book, and you will place it in its proper place in the Bible story, and it will give you the ability to answer hundreds of thousands of questions that you wouldn't, hundreds of thousands, see, that's pretty good, yeah, hundreds of thousands of questions that you couldn't have answered before. Uh, it will really do you, uh, do you good. So that's what we're going to practice tonight. We're going to work on uh, learning how to survey a book of the Bible. So uh, let's just get a little intro, and then we're going to do, do a practice session, do it together. Uh, first, of all, first and foremost, Bible study has to always begin with looking at the bigger picture. You want to see the whole, and then you want to execute the parts of it. It's important to see the bigger picture, see the message. And so you're going to survey it, and then you're going to get into detailed analytical study. Uh, the survey is going to enable you to prepare for that. So obviously some of that is background information that most all of you know that needs to be done, historical background, author, date of writing, purpose of writing. But the survey of a book goes far beyond that. You're really trying to discover what this message is all about. So it's extremely important because it, it prepares you and excites you for a more detailed study. Uh, it's kind of like going to the movies and uh, you see the previews of coming attractions and you look at those previews and about 98% of it you say, well, I'll be going to see that. But you do get an idea of what you might and might not want to see, what excites you, what you go, nope, not for me. And so it's the same thing with Bible study, except it's all for you. But it prepares you to dig deeper. It gets you your mind ready for it in every way. It gives you a context to each part of the book. Biggest mistake people make, you know this, is taking verses and passages out of context. When you know the message and survey a book, you will typically not do that. You will not go and pluck a verse out and think that you can just use it however you want because you will already know the message of the book and how each part of that book fits in to that message. And so it just enables you then just to discover the purpose primary message, and when you have that, then you, you have a background by which you can study just about anything you need to. It provides a map for you to navigate all the parts of the book. It provides a map for you to have a future reference. Uh, it would be amazing of how much you will remember of a book. Here, here again is, is, is the goal. Somebody says to you, Zephaniah, can you tell me what it is? Chronicles, 
Can you tell me what it is? Uh, whatever book it is, 2 Corinthians, could you tell me what it is? Simple things like just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can you tell me what each one of them do, what the message of each one of them are? All of those things are very valuable because it gives you a foundation for confidence. Christians need to be confident in their knowledge of Scripture. When you're confident in knowledge of Scripture, you're not afraid to talk to other people. When you're not confident, you are afraid to talk to other people. So getting confident in your knowledge is extremely important. And this provides you a map for that. So here's the process. It's a fairly simple process. You're going to start with read, read, read. <laughs> and I would suggest you're going to do two cursory readings. One, each of them should be in one sitting if possible. Now, obviously, uh, you're probably not going to read all of First and Second Chronicles in one sitting. You might be lucky to get the first nine chapters of First Chronicles in one sitting with all the uh, uh, <laughs> genealogies. Uh, but at any rate, you want to try to get one sitting because then you get the bigger picture. It's like reading a letter real rapidly and then coming back and seeing the, the details. And in that first sitting, you're, you're simply trying to figure out what's going on here. Why is this being written? What are some of the problems here? What's the, what's the real thing that he's trying to get across? In the second reading, then you're going to be a little more careful. You're going to say, okay, where's the key breaks in the book? Where, uh, where, how, does the, how does he organize this? What, what, is, what is he doing? Is there, what is a message that I'm seeing? And I, I give you by experience, by the way. The best thing to do is just have a piece of paper next to you. And as you're reading, you know, like each chapter or whatever, just anything that gives you an idea of why he's writing this, you're just jotting it down. Anything that comes to mind, you're just jotting it down. But you're not doing a detailed reading. Please notice cursory. It's kind of like you might uh, well, at least the way I do, uh, read a newspaper or a, new, a group of news articles. I'm looking at the title. If it interests me, then I'm kind of skimming and seeing the big, and then if it's really important, I might stop at a few paragraphs and read carefully. But I'm getting an idea of what's there, going back if there's some detail I want to uh, take a look at. Uh, so that's the idea. You're just trying to get the bigger picture in a survey. You're never trying to get into details. You're just getting at a feel of the, of the message and what is really going on here. You want to look for things that give you a clue then to the big picture. I like to say you're going to play Jeopardy with the text. In the game show Jeopardy, you have the answers. You have to come up with the question. So in the Bible, you have the answers. You have to say, what was the questions that the author is, is answering here? What's he trying to do? Uh, what's going on here? All right? It's like if you start 1 Corinthians, what are you going to immediately notice? Division. <laughs> it's a problem with division. You have carnal people here who are sniping at each other, and they're not getting along, and stuff like this. And so you're immediately aware of problems that are happening uh, in the church. Uh, this is an idea of just a simple survey chart where I just took First Peter, divided it into three major sections. You should have an example of this in your booklet. And just jotted down the key things in each of those major sections, gave each section some kind of title, summation title, and then a key verse 
or key verses, and then the theme at the top. So that's a pretty simple way of doing a, a survey chart. You're just looking at it from a bigger picture. And as I said, that should be in your booklet or an example of that. My favorite and I think best way to do a survey is to go through the book first and just mark where the key paragraphs are. So that, that's what I've done here. You can see each of the numbers up there, if you can see it. Each of the numbers just delineates a paragraph each time. And so once I've done that, <clears throat> notice the dark lines. The dark lines are where I saw key divisions in the book, kind of a change of pace. <clears throat> and then all I got to do from there is fill in the blanks. Okay, so then I'm going to go back and I'm going to fill in the blanks. And that's usually the first thing I do is I draw the parallelogram. And, uh, and, and you can do this on Word document, by the way, very easily or, or PowerPoint or something. Or you can just do it like the old-fashioned way I used to do. You get out a ruler and you draw it. <laughs> but anyway, you just fill in the blanks. What's, in each, what's the major thing in each section? You can see in there. Once I've done that, then again at the bottom, I'm going to get an idea. I want to summarize what each of those major sections is about. And you can see in this case, a living hope, pilgrims and sojourners, a fiery trial at the end, and then the top hitting a little bit different theme of how we look at that. And then going from there, giving a theme at the top, key verses, uh, key, key verses that I've quoted on the left and on the right at the bottom, which bookends the whole letter, and then who it's written to, exiles from Rome living in northern Asia Minor. So there's, a, there's basically a really complete survey chart where I've got everything that I need. Now the idea is, is that once you, you will learn more in the doing of it than in the saving of it, so to speak. Save it, certainly, but I end up redoing survey charts all the time, do it again, because the process makes me learn the book better. And that's the best thing. But saving those, you know, if you had a booklet where you did all 66 and then went back as you studied and you might redo years later, you redo another one, uh, that's really very valuable. And uh, uh, you learn a book really well just by serving. And you notice this, there's no getting into the details of every verse. You're just getting an idea of how that, th how that works out. Uh, here's an example, by the way, of an Ezekiel survey chart. It's a large book, 48 chapters. But you notice I've, I've taken that and, and divided into, okay, your, your first 24 chapters are Ezekiel's warnings. Very graphic, picturesque warnings. Then there's three years of the siege of Jerusalem, which is going on while uh, 20 verses chapter 25 through 32 goes on. And then the restoration part of the book is at the end. And so just giving me an idea when I look at that, I go, okay, got that. That helps me remind me of how Ezekiel is divided up. And uh, once you then go back and read the details, you'll see that real easily and how that, how that works out. So what we're going to do tonight then is we're just going to do 2 Peter together. Okay? So you open your Bibles to 2 Peter. Obviously you need a pen here. You get your chart. If you don't have a chart, uh, Clyde has one. If you, just, if you walked in late, uh, he can give you a blank chart that looks just like this. Okay, and uh, yeah, question. So, this might be too simplistic, but it, it'll help me. What makes a key verse a key verse in your life? Okay, 
Good, good question. Uh, key verses somehow give you a pretty good idea of what this whole letter's about. Summed up in one Summed up almost in one verse. Exactly, or a verse or two or something like that. So Sometimes, yeah, some, some kind of summation. You will notice that when I do survey charts, I'm always trying, if possible, to nearly quote certain lines in a, in a particular, like a paragraph. What's a line in that paragraph that might summarize the whole paragraph or come close to it? You'll see me quoting it more than summarizing it in my own. Now, you can summarize in your own. It's not the wrong way to do this, but I like to do it that way because the, the text usually gives you some kind of word. On that first Peter chart, there was verses at the very beginning and verses at the very end that bookended it. That you see that a lot, and so those uh, were were key too. So you're looking at something that tends to summarize, whether it's a paragraph or in the case of a whole book, you're you're looking. That's what you're looking at. That's a good question. Anybody else have any questions on that? Okay. The best way to work on this is just to do it together. And by the way, I mean, there's, I I, I always say there's no right or wrong. I'm going to tell you one thing that everybody falls into, though, is they want to get into details. Don't get into details. Just try to figure out what's this about? What's that section about? So we're going to start with chapter one. So that's, that's kind of a long section, but the reason for our purposes, we're going to do it just in three chapter sections is because we don't have the time to do small sections so much. So take the first chapter, scan down through it, get an idea of two or three major things that you're going to see in that chapter. I'd suggest usually there's going to be two or three things that you're going to go, oh, there's the major thing he's doing there. Here's the major thing here. Here's the major thing here. And just jot down those things. And then I'm going to ask you to share it with, with us when you get done. I'm going to do it with you so that, we're, so that uh, we do this together. Okay? Ready, set, go. Okay, I know that's probably rushing you a little bit. I normally would not take that short a time, but we only have 45 minutes here. Uh, so whatever you have uh, so far, great. You can work on more of it uh, uh, maybe later. But anybody want to give me your summation of uh, what you saw in chapter one? Jump in the deep end and go ahead and give it a try. Good. There's a strong encouragement here to build on their faith, to grow their faith, to grow in verse in various qualities. Uh, exactly. So there's one of the major sections. All right. Anybody see any? What else further did you might have you seen? Go ahead, Alice. <laughs> Farewell reminder from Peter to Christians to grow in knowledge and be transformed by it. Be diligent as you strike for heaven. This message is verified by God and witnessed by us, so pay attention. All right, that's not too wordy. That's giving that's giving a good a good summation. Uh, you notice that uh, Allison included in there 
uh, <clears throat> even though she didn't use the word, Peter does, but included in their idea of a reminder. I'm going to depart soon, and I want to make sure that you're aware of these qualities because they're necessary for you in order to enter the kingdom. All right, very good. Somebody else. Go ahead, John. Good. 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 Reasons behind how why this is important. Very good. Now you notice John caught something very, very important in the text, which is key to why the emphasis on growth and why the reminders. God has done something. He is desiring for us to become partakers of the divine nature. It's the greatest pursuit ever given to man. He's, he's making it possible for us to be partakers of the divine nature. So he's granted us everything that we need in life and godliness so we can be partakers of the divine nature. And in order to do that, then he says, therefore, and then he talks about the growth and the adding to that. And then John mentioned the conclusion there. Why in, what is so important about the conclusion of chapter 1? Why is this you, now you get a little idea of why he's making this so important to these Christians. What just stands right out immediately in the last section, 16 through 21. Okay, why? But, 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 you jumped in the middle. Why is that so important? Hmm? No, why is that so important? He starts right out telling you why this is so important for him to remind them of this. Verse 16. We didn't follow these cleverly devised myths. Huh? What does that tell you about what's going on in the book already? Yeah, he's suggesting that this is has been sending possible doubts in their mind. They've got, they've got people around them that are saying these things and that, this, that the apostles just gave you some kind of story or fable or myth or something like that. So he's, he, he's immediately giving us a reason why, look, here's God's goal for you because we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. And then, of course, you have those details about we heard, we saw, the prophetic word is more sure by what we heard and saw, etc. The prophecies given not by humans and by not human will, but by God. But those are just backup to the main thing is we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. Okay? See that? So, uh, I mean, I was real brief here. Partakers of the divine nature, therefore add to your faith, for we didn't follow fables. <laughs> okay? That's kind of hitting the major part there. I, I wrote it differently on my sheet here. In fact, I was, I was as wordy as Allison was. But you're getting the idea, and that's going to remind me. I mean, I'm not printing that in a book, but that's going to remind me of the first chapter. When I look at it again, I go, oh, yeah, I remember how that first chapter flows now. Those are the key 
key sections of it. All right? And again, however you wrote yours is okay because you're writing yours to remind you. I'm writing mine to remind me. So you're writing it so, you, uh, so it works for you. That's the idea. Not that you're trying to say, oh, Barry did it perfectly. He didn't. You're just doing, you, every person's going to do it so it reminds you of what's going on. Okay? Let's do the second chapter. <clears throat> Should be able to see two major sections in the second chapter. I'll give you a heads up. This is a, that the second chapter is a lot easier than the first. Okay, hate, again, hate to push a little bit, but <laughs> so we can be able to get done. Uh, what, uh, what did you see? The, uh, what do you see the main, main point here, main points, a couple of main points, or, or however you did it? What are, some, what are the main things that you saw in this chapter? What's it about? Go ahead. Good, okay. History of and future warning of false prophets or false teachers. Uh, you notice he says, there were false prophets in the past, there will be false teachers among you. Uh, pretty much same difference, but still, he's giving us a big warning, isn't there? Um, how many people today you think are uh, super, super careful and concerned about false teachers? Now, I'd say most people are like, huh? Uh, yeah, well, Peter says, yeah, Peter says they're everywhere. There will be false teachers among you. You have to be discerning. Jesus warned about it. I know I've mentioned this to you before, but every book in the New Testament warns against false teachers, except for the book of Philemon. Every single book, 26 of the 27 books, warn against false teachers. Jesus warns against it over and over and over again. Do you think it's a serious problem? Yeah, of course it is. And uh, when, you, when you find out the entire Israel nation, the leadership of the Israel nation were false teachers, uh, and Jesus condemned them, you, we, we need to be awake and aware. And these are obviously people that are Right up in the forefront, aren't they? <laughs> They're people that people follow. They're not just, uh, you know, quiet people somewhere in the back. So, great, great summation. Somebody else have a different one. I keyed off on something else that I wrote in chapter one, which was that um, by being particulars of the divine nature, our entrance into heaven is assured. Uh, and in verse 10, it's as bold to say, you'll never stumble. I contrasted that in chapter two by saying, Beware of false teachers who will attempt to pull you away from that truth. Um, and a highlight of verses 7 and 9, if he, 7 through 9 or that thereabouts, if he knew how to rescue Lot and Noah, he knows how to rescue God. Good, good. That's a great. Now you watch what Chip did there. He made, and this is very important, he made a connection now, and that's of course critical. He made a connection between one and two. In fact, you can just look at the last couple of verses of one and see some of that connection as well, because the last couple of verses, he says, there's no prophecy that was given by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were uh, guided or, or moved by the Holy Spirit. And then chapter two begins, but there were false prophets and there will be false teachers among you. So he's saying there's a contrast of what is revealed by God 
and the godly men whom God inspired and those who are going to contradict it. Always remember something, and I'm going in a little application here, but always remember, anytime God does something, Satan decides to duplicate it. Every time. <laughs> God goes, I'm going to build my church, my group of people, Satan says, I can build five billion of them. <laughs> Say, God says, I got Jeremiah as a prophet. Uh, uh, the, the king of Israel said, oh, well, I've, I've got uh, actually 800 prophets. <laughs> it's, it's just interesting to see. Anything, you know, magicians in Egypt. Uh, Moses does a miracle, magicians, Jesus, oh, we can do that. Yeah, we'll make the frogs go back into the sea and good at acting like you brought them out. You know, there's all kinds of things. Duplication all the time, and that's what you see here. Good. Somebody else, real quickly. Yes? It mentions in verse 1, the Nike's master brings all with examples of those with destruction. Okay, so when you have the, and, and here would one way to look at this, when you have those first 10 verses, in fact, 10 to 10a, what you have is a, you have the condemnation of false teachers and the rescue of the righteous, as Chip pointed out. And then in the last half, from that time on, what do you see? Well, you see the de deceptions of the false teachers. So if there's going to be false teachers among you. Here's the punishment false teachers are going to receive. Here's the deceptions of false teachers. And the whole last part is just telling you all about how they deceive and the bad things they do and all of this and how their last state is worse than the first. So there's a summation. Yeah. I've got the middle school explanation. The middle school explanation. Okay, good, good. God punishes the wicked whether they be false teachers, prophets, or fallen angels, but he rescues the righteous. Okay, good. And that's, that's a good summation like the first 10 verses. Yeah, I mean, it is. When you get the last part, then you see all these descriptions of what they look like. See, if, if, you're, if you're Peter's audience, these, by the way, these false teachers, are they on the outside of the church or the inside of the church in this? Did you notice that? They're on the inside. So how difficult is it to recognize somebody on the inside? Well, it's a lot more difficult because they're real charismatic. They're nice. You're, they're your brother. They, they feel fine, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But they're very, very subtle. And so he says, let me describe them for you. They actually join you in your, uh, you know, your feasts. And they are, they're there with you. And they're, oh boy, are they? Yeah, that's, that's the idea. See, I know. Okay, we've, we've got just a few minutes. So you've got to do chapter 3, okay? And chapter 3 is going to bring all this to summation. So we'll do, hit chapter three in, in about three or four minutes here. <clears throat> okay, that was really fast. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, got an idea. What do you got so far? Go ahead, Alan. More warnings about false prophets that make you question things, and things always continue as does. But God will judge, but be ready and Okay, good. What here, what, what, uh, now we, we learn what these false teachers, by the way, were primarily teaching. What is it? Yeah, Lord's not coming. Yeah. Does that, get, does that explain to you why they're living the way they are in chapter 2? <laughs> yeah. If the Lord's not coming, <laughs> well, <laughs> have a heyday. You know, that's what they're doing. So, so you, now you see this, this main thing of what they're doing. And they're saying there's not going to be a judgment. <laughs> 
argument. There already was one. The old world perished. Present heavens and the earth are going to be burned up and dissolved. So all you got to do is look back at a previous judgment to know that it's not far, far out to know that there's one coming. And then at the very end there, he, he actually, I, I love these two things in verse 17 and 18. Take care that you're not carried away, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, notice the word reminder again. I know I'm doing this and I wanted you to do it, but a reminder, 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 reminder that you see in there. Yeah, Jeff. I couldn't help but point out the bookends. Verses 1 and 2, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge. Verse 18, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge. That's right. That's right. You got a you got a bookend again. That's right of the whole book. So uh, so you notice here then that you got to be mindful of the prophets and the apostles. That's who you got to remember because the scoffers are going to say there's there's no judgment, but they're forgetting the former judgment. And the Lord's not slow about His promise. It's going to happen. So you need to take care. You need to grow. Now, once I've gone that far, what do you need to do? Well, we need to fill in some things here. So that's why I always do this. Give me big summations of the whole letter. Like here at the bottom, you got, I, I just put reminders as a theme here. Reminders of growth, first chapter. Reminders of false teachers, second chapter. Reminders of the second coming, third chapter. All right, so there's a real simple outline to that. Then the top, just two major sections, escaping the corruption of the world. Notice I'm using terminology Peter even used. Escaping the corruption of the world and then overcoming the corruption of the world. So two big themes. Add some... Add a theme a statement for the whole book. Reminders do not be carried away with the air of the lawless. Uh, you got some key verses, 1, 6, 3, 1, emphasizing, uh, 16, 3, 1, emphasizing the myths and the reminders of this. And then don't be barren or unfruitful. Chapter 1, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter, chapter 3, at the very end of the book, you see it all bookend. Here's a Romans look, you know, you can see it bigger like that. Haven't filled in the blanks there. Uh, here is a 1 Corinthians, and it's a little different. Start at the top and then go, after I've done it, then I sit down and list, what were the problems? And then what were the questions? Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about problems and questions that they had had. So uh, just an interesting way of approaching that. Here's one of my favorite, though. Here's a survey chart of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the whole route en route to Canaan, the 40 years that it took to get there. It was an 11-day journey. It took them 40 years. And then dividing each of those up and showing how each of those sections, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all connect. And that's a real fun uh, study as well. So there's a lot of things you can do with that, and that's a lot of fun. You can do a Kings and Chronicles chart, which contrasts them. There's a lot of fun things to do. So that gives you a little light. We're going to practice uh, uh, this again uh, in maybe a, a two or three weeks, so we'll, we'll work on it some more, okay? Thank you. You, really, you guys really did great.